2: You're
3: listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
0: Ah, the Lions fight song, of course. Of course. No better way to bring in our next <laughs> guest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the- you think <laughs> how many cardiologists in the world do you think are brought in by an NFL fight song like about, that, let alone the Detroit Lions? Sometimes
3: that song aired off of Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> Just Anywhere. picturing
0: Dan Campbell in the postgame locker room <laughs> singing that on a table. Uh-huh. Um, he is the one and only. You've obviously heard about him a lot on this show, and in all seriousness, without him, we probably I don't have the show. He is Dr. Benjamin Mottman, and he joins us right now to, I think, inform us a little bit more on the situation with Tamar Hamlin, and honestly, probably some stuff that just us as common folk can know about um, this entire situation. Dr. Mottman, good morning, good luck to your Lions this weekend, and thank you in all seriousness uh, for the time.
4: Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin and Jake. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that theme music coming in. (laughs) Did you?
3: Were you aware of a Lions fight song? By the way.
4: Oh yeah, I'll play it every day. Kidding me? That's his ringtone, right?
3: Fires him up every (laughs) morning, right? One hundred percent. Hey, Doctor Motman, let's begin with this, and and I want to be clear here you know, obviously when it comes to medicine, you know, we don't know. And so it would be unfair to ask you specifics about the situation with Demar Hamlin, because you're not working that particular patient. Right. But to speak kind of generically about it, I, I think a lot of people in the last day or so have heard about, and I don't even know if I'm going to say it right. I know that'll stun you. Commodio Cordis, if I'm saying that correctly, but While we don't know for certain that that's what happened with Hamlin, we do know that there is this freak occurrence that can happen with trauma to the chest that causes a cardiac arrest. Can can you kind of explain, like I'm a third grader, exactly what happens in those situations?
4: Absolutely. I think, you know, first off, you have to say thoughts are with the player. With his friends and family, this is clearly going to be the worst couple days for all of them. There's a lot of stress around this, a lot of uncertainty. So definitely my thoughts go out to his family, uh, his friends, the medical staff taking care of him. Um, Anything that's said about him right now is clearly speculative. It's uncertain exactly what happened. There's multiple things that could have contributed, and he will be evaluated for all these. He'll get a battery of tests while he's in the hospital. There's different underlying structural heart disease, electrical abnormalities, non-cardiac conditions that could contribute. He'll have to be evaluated for all of that.
3: Is it it safe to say that, and I I hate to say this, but are there things, Dr. Mottman, that like through the NFL Combine, you know, they do obviously pretty extensive look over of all prospects and players, um, but are there things that cardiovascularly can occur to someone that that were not previously detectable. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, commotio court is the, the headline that's going on around right now is something that happens in someone without a predisposing factor with a structurally normal heart. So, when they do the NFL combine, when they get these baseline ECGs, this would not be detected. This would not be a red flag going forward.
3: And so, that basically is just you know what exactly happens there just there's a there's a contact to the heart that suddenly like jolts the heart to stop i mean is that
4: yeah exactly so commotio cordis it's latin for disruption of the heart and i think the main reason it's being discussed uh which is appropriate is that he had a clear impact right before his cardiac arrest so it's a little bit different than the other times where you've seen a basketball player running back to half court or a soccer player sprinting down the field and then Go down without any impact,
0: Doctor Momen. We're about 36 hours away from what transpired on the field on Monday night. What are these times like right now? You hear his uncle say yesterday the oxygen level has gone from 100 percent down to about 50 percent in terms of reliance on the ventilator. What exactly is going on right now? I think you mentioned these are some kind of critical times. Um, could you kind of take us inside of what what you'd assume is going on?
4: Yeah, so so briefly going back to commotio cordis, so basically it's bad luck and bad timing. It's a direct blow to the anterior chest. If you look at a textbook, it's typically a 13 or 15-year-old adolescent male that has not developed their chest wall, so that direct impact can get through to the heart muscle. And the way that the heart works is there's an electricity cycle, the heart depolarizes and the muscle contracts, and then it repolarizes and resets. And there's a very brief window, a vulnerable period, where if there's an electrical jolt at that exact time, 10 to 30 milliseconds in that vulnerable period, the heart can go into ventricular fibrillation and cardiac output stops. So that's more that that's a freak accident, but it can happen in a structurally normal heart, just horrible timing with a precise impact at the precise time. What's probably going on now is that he's had this cardiac arrest, he's been resuscitated, And now this is the crucial 24 to 72 hours where you let the dust settle and see what else is going on with the body. He's potentially being treated with targeted temperature treatment to protect his neurologic function. And you rest the body, slow down the metabolism to the brain to preserve brain function. And then it's trying to see are there other complications coming up uh, throughout his hospital course. So it's it's a time that requires a lot of patience A lot of time for the dust to settle, but it's incredibly stressful for uh, friends and family.
0: So would it be fair to say maybe the bigger concern right now is what's going on neurologically and less heart?
4: Absolutely. If he's stable hemodynamically, if his blood pressure and heart rate are stable, then the whole focus goes on to what is his neurologic function long term, and that takes time to sort out.
3: Dr. Benjamin Mottman is our guest. He's a cardiological interventionist at Community Heart Vascular Hospital. Um, talking about like just freak timing and circumstance, I was the luckiest guy on the planet that he was working on October twentieth of uh, two thousand twenty, um, and didn't take a dinner break. That that would have sucked. But um, Dr. Mottman, when we look at and you had mentioned like with younger people that you know could be susceptible. To these kinds of things because the heart hasn't fully developed I guess a two-part question the first would be at what age has fully the heart developed and all of the protection around it that usually happens for someone around what age of life
4: yeah so it's more so the chest wall developing so the the, the bones in the muscular system uh, and they say that 13 to 15 year old male who's playing impact sports is the vulnerable person um, once that chest wall, that what's that musculoskeletal system has developed, and that protects the heart more. So by eighteen, so, so certainly, right? not necessarily right? heart function, but more so the chest wall.
3: Right. Okay. So, so with that, uh, just with youth sports in general, have you started to see more of? You know, we hear people talk about defibrillators and CPR. I, I was curious, and I thought to myself, Gosh, maybe everybody should be taught CPR. I, where does somebody go to learn that kind of thing? Uh, You know, defibrillators, how long have those been around and what exactly do those do in terms of being preventative in case this happens on your local soccer, baseball, football field?
4: Yeah, no, it's a a great point because this is a freak accident. Uh, This is not something that someone's predisposed to, so it's good for everyone to have knowledge about CPR. And basically, if this happens, if this is what happened and someone goes into ventricular fibrillation, their cardiac output is zero. So you have to maintain their cardiac output by adequate and early CPR to get perfusion back to the brain. And then so that treats the mechanical process going on, pumping the blood. You got to reset the electricity of the heart. And the only way to do that is with an AED or automated external defibrillator. I, I think everyone involved in child sports should have some knowledge of CPR. Um, looking at resources this morning, at, there's CPR.heart.org. Where you can type in your zip code and try to find some places that have classes for general population a lot of the classes that came up were at ymcas and fire stations Uh, there's redcross.org with a training tab that you can go to and then if that's too tough even just youtube is a phenomenal thing you can youtube cpr get some basics on that
3: and dr mottman when this situation arises the reality is that, the, you know, questions come from every angle, right? People start speculating about a, a million different things. I guess that the question that I would have for you is when you see, you know, or is it possible, I guess, when you see 10 different patients that come into the community heart vascular hospital under cardiac distress, is it possible that there are 10 different causes in 10 different cases? I mean, is, is cardiology still kind of, are there aspects of it where it's still the last frontier?
4: Yeah. So a cardiac arrest, it it typically, you go down your triage algorithm. What's going to, what is the most dangerous thing that you have to immediately correct? Is it heart rhythm issue? Is it a heart pump issue? Is it a blood flow to the heart from a heart attack issue? And there's certain things that you cannot delay. So you always recognize those first, you know, blood clots in the lungs, things like that, that emergency room physicians are trained for. You rule those out, and then you have the dust settle for a couple days, and then you do additional testing down the road to try to recognize it. But there's multiple things that can cause cardiac arrest.
0: Dr. Motman, last one for me, and appreciate the kind of, as a general public, what can we do when we're at an event that, you know, obviously does not have the medical staff on site like an NFL game does. Um, Just from a heart check standpoint, you know, I'm sitting here at 33 years old, and I'm sitting sitting here thinking to myself, gosh, do I need to start doing this on a, on, on a, on a somewhat frequent basis? You know, at, at what age and I guess what steps can people take to, um, you know, try and get ahead of things, if at all possible, from a heart check standpoint?
4: So certainly the best medicine is preventative medicine, so maintaining a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle. The recommendation is 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per week. You can break it down however you want. 50 minutes three days a week 40 minutes four days a week just get to that 150 minutes fast walking um, elliptical lightweight training things like that and then have a primary care doctor someone that can check your cholesterol panel on occasion make sure you don't have any predisposing risk factors for coronary disease
3: uh mark you had a question about the game this weekend right
1: your lines are going to be the packers right we don't want the packers getting in the playoffs
4: the Lions will beat the Packers. Boy, that, that's bold. That, that is definitive. What I don't know is what Seattle versus uh, Rams. What will happen in that game?
0: I was going to say you might need to sing the Rams fight song earlier in the day, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. to make sure that your Lions are still playing for something. We need Matthew Stafford
4: to come back and help us out.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like Baker Mayfield right here for Dr. Motman. Yeah. Uh, all right. So again, number of places. I think that the two important things here. Doc, if you will, number one is probably it's never a bad idea for anybody to take CPR and just learn it because you never know. I mean, you could be at the mall where somebody needs CPR and there are a number of resources where you can find that information. And then also 150 minutes of cardio a week, you said, right? Absolutely. All right. Um, All right. Well, we appreciate it. And as you know, I, I am always grateful for the fact that I text you, well, about 150 minutes per week, actually, and you usually respond. So it's it's very much appreciated. I've been
4: praying for you, Dr. Motman. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to tell you. I'm switching my cell phone next week. <laughs> no. uh, thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Go Lions. <laughs> Dr. Benjamin Motman, cardiological
3: interventionist at the Community Heart Vascular Hospital on the northeast side of Indianapolis.
0: Uh, redcross.org. I mean, like you said, you know fire stations around town but i know that there's a lot of people out there that will look at that and say it's a little bit of a too much of a taxing process to do that so fire up youtube from a cpr standpoint and um see if you can have some understanding for if and when those events do arise and again you don't have the medical staff on site for that potentially you can help out and save a life uh
3: the lions have to beat the packers and then what the The Seahawks have to lose, right? Correct, and that
0: is a four twenty five game Rams and Seahawks. Really
1: weird flex that the NFL did that—that they didn't have those games simultaneously.
3: Yeah, but
0: I mean, gosh, Titans Jags, are you gonna put that on Sunday night? Well, that's at least
1: like there's no, you know, there's no other aspect to it. It's either win or go home. Whereas the Lions could be eliminated by Sunday night if the but the the Packers still have to win. win.
0: And I think that's the appeal right? of, like, Lambeau, Sunday Night Football, Aaron Rodgers has got to win this football game to get into the playoffs. No can, thanks. Can you play that Lions fight song again? That's oh. kind of fun, isn't it? Was yeah. that Orlovsky that you just did? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> kind of. The Detroit Lions fight song, I was at a Lions-Bears game in Ford Field, and a guy comes out and sings that song every time they score a touchdown, which isn't very often. I was going to say. we got to get Motman to do does, that it at some point. He doesn't know the
3: lyrics yet, right? Right. <laughs>
1: On, was I'm picturing
3: Dan Campbell
0: at the first team meeting in training camp saying, We all need to memorize this fight. You song. know what? Have we mocked.
3: Down the field, team that will not yield, they will not yield. And when the blue and silver wave, what year you, you spend that? Like 1948? Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. small with honor <laughs> before the fourth family owned the Lions the big spice. Now do we want to know the um, the Colts draft scenarios for the week? Yes.
0: I mean I find that to be very pertinent right now. Uh, the Colts could draft anywhere from three to six, okay? Currently they're slotted fifth. To get the number three pick. You would need a Colts loss to the Texans. And you would need wins by the Cardinals and Broncos. The Cardinals are playing the 49ers. The Broncos are playing the Chargers.
3: Sorry, so you need, say this again.
0: Okay. So to get the third pick, okay. you need a Colts loss to the Texans. And you would need the Cardinals to beat the 49ers. The Broncos to beat the Chargers. I don't think either of those teams are playing for like an absurd amount of, of home field. So we'll see how they're... The resting goes for the 49ers and or Chargers. To get the fourth pick, you need a Colts loss and one of those two teams to win. So, either the Cardinals or the Broncos to win their game. Uh, The only way the Colts can fall to the sixth pick, which is not what Dr. Mottman wants, unfortunately, uh, they need the Colts, um, if the Colts beat the Texans and the Rams lose to the Seahawks, the Colts would fall to the sixth pick. So with the win, you can only fall one spot. Any other
3: result that they draft fifth. Do you think there's the possibility, Kevin? Do the Colts have any surplus of by surplus, I mean, do they have additional from past moves? Cuz I know Ballard, you know, loves draft picks. Do they have additional second or third round picks?
0: No. They traded their third round pick for Nick Cross last April. Uh, they do have a third rounder this year. That's the Carson Wentz trade, uh, which right now, I want to say that pick is like about 10 spots behind where their own third round pick would be. So they were going to draft you know, fifth overall in the third round uh, with Washington's record being better than Indianapolis. That pick moves back 10 spots. So, so he, no additional second, no additional third, no additional fourth, just normal draft picks so if
3: you're drafting, within those rounds. if you're drafting fifth, And you want to move up to Chicago's second spot. What would Chicago require to fall back three spots?
0: Boy, I would say your second and your third.
3: Or your future first. first. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, you're the Bears guy. What would you want? From the Colts? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's all draft picks at this point. So, yeah. I'd, Second and third in 2023, swapping,
1: Mark? Swapping, or do you want the 2024 first rounder? I'd say you're swapping first round picks for sure. I mean, because I, w- there's a whole breakdown of like how much value is if each draft pick. So, I would say I guess it are swapping on, first round picks. It probably depends on what other people are offering you, right? Right. Like, if the Raiders come in and they're offering you like, their first-round pick in Devontae Adams, I'm sorry. I'm taking the Raiders right there.
0: And, and that's the thing about the Bears, where they are potentially in such a golden situation. If, it, if this draft is now looked at, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are the class of the quarterbacks, and you have got to get to that level if you want one of the two elite guys— Houston takes one of them at one. The other one's sitting there at two. Chicago can just say, all right, call us. Mm-hmm. Call us until 8 o'clock on April 29th, yep. whenever the draft starts, and they're going to get a King's Ransom for that number 2 overall pick. And I, I, and I do think it's worth pointing out, we'll see how the Bears view Will Anderson from Alabama, uh, the defensive end who's been heralded for several years. Um, he seems to be kind of the the defender. I know some people have pointed to Jalen Carter from Georgia, who did not have a great semifinal game, uh, but that's the beauty of the position Chicago is in currently. And for what it's worth, Chicago can still get the number one pick, right, Mark? Yep, yep. Pretty much, I think the Texans have to beat the Colts, and the Bears have to lose to the Vikings. That's and about it. Did you guys see the Vegas line on Colts-Texans?
3: Spiroditas on the call, by the way, in case you <laughs> missed that. <laughs> I'm going to say, actually, you know what, I did see this, the... The Colts were given the lower probability of win, but they're like a four-point favorite. Right? Something like that? Any guesses, Mark?
1: Yeah, I want to say the Colts are like, I'll say four and a half. Two and a half for the Colts. Two
0: and a half point favorite over the Houston Texans.
2: On a...
3: Wednesday we are halfway through the week our next guest is probably not totally disappointed that the Colts are now like 90% the way through the year because it has been one for the books no question but he joins us each and every week Stephen Holder from ESPN.com and um, Stephen we'll begin with this I heading into this game against Houston you know there are so many different ways to look at the way this game could unfold. And I don't mean the game itself. I don't think anybody's overly worried with what the result's going to be, except for for the draft stat, the draft position, right? But um, do you notice kind of a different tenor in the locker room of guys when some are playing to solidify themselves, some are trying to put the pieces on a final contract? I mean, how how does a team handle it differently than when everybody's playing for the same thing, which is like a a playoff push, if you will? Yeah,
5: I... I really think in recent weeks, and I don't know if this specifically answers your question, but I I will tell you this. In recent weeks, I noticed kind of a difference uh, in this team, and and that difference was I think the results started mattering a little less. You know what I mean? Like, you just didn't feel like there was anything at stake for them. It's not anything anybody said. It's not anything anyone did. It's just a, it's a vibe. It's a vibe that you get when you're in the locker room every day. I know what it feels like. I've been in locker rooms for 20 years. You know, so you, you know what it feels like when a team feels like they they have something at stake. And this has not felt that way for a very long time. I would argue, okay, I would argue that it hasn't felt that way since Frank Reich was fired. Which is why I will continue to argue that that had the opposite effect them was intended (laughs) frankly it just didn't it didn't really spur anything it 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 sent a message that wow we suck (laughs) so anyway i i don't know if that answers the question but i i just haven't felt like this team was playing for anything meaningful for a very long time and i I thought the effort was still okay until the last couple of weeks i think the effort has waned but but, yeah, this, it just didn't feel like there was anything at stake for them. And, you know, maybe maybe they knew that they just weren't good enough. I don't know. Steven, I've been saying for probably about a month now, the
0: season for me has kind of transpired from most disappointing in the Ursay ownership era, which is about 25 years, to the most embarrassing. Um, yeah. And now it's these weekly embarrassments, particularly the, throughout December, that we're seeing. And, and, frankly, no unit defines that more than the offense and the offense stinks, but it's coming, like, a little bit more into the forefront, Stephen, of, like, this is a historically bad NFL offense. Not just, like, Colts franchise bad. If you look at recent NFL seasons, this is one of the worst offenses you will find. And now I sit here and think is it more is all of it personnel related like again I'm trying to like place pieces of the pie in where the blame is and I come down to it and think outside of maybe running back I don't look at any of the position groups and think they're even close to an average unit in the NFL
5: yeah you know it's funny because there have been a lot of bad quarterbacks on a lot of teams right and, and so, so I say that because they haven't gotten very good quarterback play, right? And, and that's been a constant throughout. But I think it's still really hard to pin it all on that, which is I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you is what I'm saying, because it's really easy and, and, and neat and kind of convenient, right, to just say, well, I mean, they need a quarterback upgrade. and no, no, it'll be fine. But we said that before. <laughs> right I mean as I was tweeting this the other day telling people like don't keep making the same mistake man like you gotta learn from this as a fan and hopefully the Colts do as a team as a as a leadership of, of the leadership of that team you have to learn from this and I think the lesson right now is it's, it's a lot of things it isn't just the quarterback it isn't just oh we fire the coach nah, it, if it was that simple okay we wouldn't be seeing what we are seeing I'm not saying they would be winning, but it's like you said. I mean, this is absolutely, this is humiliation on a weekly basis. A complete and utter humiliation. It is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I'm not, it's the worst I've seen. I, you've been here a lot longer than me. This is my 10th season, but I, this, is a, this is a low point I never thought I'd see this franchise at. You know what I mean? Like I, I just They just don't do this. 2011 happened, I get that, but we understood what happened. Yeah, preseason expectations were different. Yeah, I, this is a low point I I really had a hard time ever envisioning for the Colts as a franchise. I agree with you, just this, this, to make the point again. Historically bad offense, and not something you just fix by plugging in a quarterback at, at this point.
0: As best you can, walk us through your expectations post-game on Sunday. Um, final gun goes off around 4 o'clock. We know that Frank Reich's fired, so we know that over the next few weeks, they'll have a head coaching search. Do you expect to hear from Jim Irsay post-game? Um Technically, Chris Ballard's under contract, so it's not like you need to make any announcement on the general manager front if you're keeping him. If you're firing him, of course, you have to. But if you're keeping him, you don't need to say anything publicly. Um, I guess. Do you expect to hear from Ursay? When do we expect to hear from Ballard? What, just what are your thoughts?
5: Sunday, four o'clock. The rest of next week. That's. It's hard to say. I really don't know. It's. It's kind of a. It's. It's a little bit uncharted territory, because. Normally, when a coach is fired after the season, you know you get the whole Black Monday press conference. The owner comes out and he says, you know, thanks him, thanks the coach for for all of his efforts, and talks about what they want in in the new coach and and where they're going as an organization. You know, you get all those tidy little uh, explanations. But this is different, right? We, as you said, we already know there's going to be a coaching search. You have Jeff Saturday who. I think for all intents and purposes, I I absolutely expect to be part of the coaching search. So we don't need to clarify that. We already know that. Um, but I, 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 it's like you said, there is no necessarily a um, a need or an expectation of Jim Mercy coming out and talking. I wish he would because we have lots of questions, right? Like tons of questions. Uh, Chris Ballard, I would say this. You are required, as an organization, the uh, the the general manager or chief decision-maker is required to talk at some point after the season. So I anticipate hearing from him, it may not be immediate. Just I was going to say, people, typically
0: that's what, like yeah. late next week, I feel like? He, he yeah, usually waits he, a few days.
5: Yeah, So so that won't happen immediately. I think we also are... I think, I believe just Saturday, he's the coach. I believe he's required to do a press conference the following day as well. So that's going to be an awkward dance there. So it's going to be a lot of awkward questions and awkward dances. And that's why I think the argument is very strong for the owner to come out and talk because a lot of these questions have to be asked of him.
3: I think awkward questions is the perfect segue to allow me to speak because I have exactly one of those, Stephen. I know that's shocking. That's, to that's like your wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, <man>. the <laughs> years change, and yet they all stay the same. Um, <laughs> f- follow me here on this reverse psychology. When when Jim Mersay named Jeff Saturday the interim coach, there was a ton of backlash. Uh, probably, I think, to the point of surprising Jim Mersay. Truthfully, yeah, and. It has not gone well. I, I mean, it has not gone to the level that Jim Merce was able to prove people wrong. Does that actually, in an odd way, increase the possibility that Jim Merce doubles down and considers Jeff Saturday long-term?
5: No, it's not reverse psychology. Actually, it's, it's kind of a legit question. Not that I <laughs> want to encourage you to ask, you know, reverse psychology questions. <laughs> but uh, there's no encouragement needed, Stephen. <laughs> true. Very true. Very true. Uh, look, I I will tell you this. I see a very headstrong individual right now when I look at Jim Mercy. And I see, I see a guy who has made moves that he felt conviction about, and the opinions of others have not mattered very much. Okay, I mean, uh, and that goes back even to Carson Wentz. I'm not saying that no one wanted to move on from Carson Wentz. That's not true. But I, it was not necessarily like the, the slam dunk decision, right? I mean, it was a little complex, but it was never complex for Jim Mercy. It was like, this guy's got to go, period. And, and that's fine. I, I, don't, I didn't have any big issue with it at the time. I mean, I understood the... the the issues there, right? I understood. But but my point was, or my point is, uh, this has been how he has operated really now, you know, for almost a year. Um, he has been very, very uh, determined, you know, to do what he feels is, is correct in his estimation. And I think, you know, to your point, Jake, I, I don't know that he does it out of spite necessarily and says, oh, well, I'll show them But he's just been very much um, willing and has had a track record in the past year of acting on his, uh, I don't know if impulse is the right word, but his convictions. Let's put it that way. And and that's where I think the, the possibility of just Saturday returning is actually very real.
0: Kenny, okay, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Colts and Texans, mercifully, the season will come to a close Sunday at 1 o'clock. Um, Stephen, I guess I'll start here. Where has this team improved under Jeff Saturday? And with your answer, does that say more about Jeff Saturday or more about Chris Ballard?
5: Hmm. I would say... Uh, I... Think the offensive line has gelled a little bit and that may be as much a product of of having a, a consistent five member unit than necessarily Jeff Saturday working some kind of magic right uh, I, I don't I don't know that he could I, obviously that's his ex, that's his area of expertise that's true but he still has never coached offensive line right I mean that's that's a hard thing to do on the fly and, and have a, a and make a significant difference. I, I, I mean, he gets credit because he gets some credit because he's the head coach right now, but I, I hesitate to say this is all because of Jeff Saturday. I mean, I, I, I can't say that, you know what I mean? Like I don't have anything thing that, that indicates that, uh, but I give them credit. Right. I think they put a little better. It hasn't been good enough. Okay. Let's be clear It has not been good enough, but it's been a little better. I've seen some progress there. Uh, but again, that is, I think, a result of continuity. Uh, Bernard Raymond has hung in there. He's He's got a long way to go. Long way to go at left tackle, but he's hung in there. And I think just leaving him at one spot, I'll give Jeff Saturday for credit for that, for leaving guys where they are and, and letting that unit mesh. And that has helped a little bit, I do think. Uh, beyond that, it, it just I haven't seen any real improvement anywhere. In fact, I feel like the defense of late has taken a step back that is probably because of what we're seeing on offense I think this defense is tired and I'm not saying they quit but I mean can you imagine the mental toll of going out there and t- take you know being DeForest Buckner or Zaire Franklin and the years that these guys have had and they have nothing to show for it absolutely nothing in fact as Zaire Franklin has pointed out you know you're a punchline and, and you played the best football of your life in his case and in, in some cases with other guys too. And and that's where you are in spite of that. So, you know, I think the defense ran out of gas, frankly. And I think I saw that on Sunday. Uh, they don't have anything left over there. Um, and and they're, they're ready to be done. <laughs> Can we just say what it is? They're ready to be done. So, yeah, there hasn't been much improvement. I mean, I'm not piling on Jeff Saturday. I'm looking for it. I would love to be able to say I see improvement here, here, and here. Where I don't see it, I just do not
3: see it, Stephen. At the end of the year, which this year obviously comes earlier than many expected, in the media, you know, you know, I mean, you go in and and players, I always get a kick out of it because players clean out their locker usually with trash bags. I'm like, these guys are millionaires, they're using trash bags to although totally
5: appropriate this year,
3: yeah, no, no question, yeah, (laughs) that is true. Um, so here's my question for you, Stephen Holder let's just say, hypothetically. That you were a real estate agent in the city of Indianapolis, and the Colts allowed you to come in and place your business card in four lockers. You get to pick four players. The rule is, though, it has to be a player who is under contract for next year, but you still get to place your business card in there because you got a suspicion they might be looking to move because they realize they're not going to be in Indianapolis next year. What four lockers are you placing your business card? This is, this is a good question. Uh, I actually, I'm starting with DeForest
5: Buckner. Not because he is a bad player, but because he's a very good player. And frankly, if you're him, I think there's there's an argument that you may want to be somewhere else. The other side of that coin is he has a lot of value. And, and if you're going to reset things as an organization, I have no idea what what their intentions are with him. But if you if you have any inkling that you may want to hit the reset button, you need assets to do that. And you can get a lot of assets with a player like DeForest Buckner. So he's still got a couple years left on that deal, I believe. So, you know, he would potentially be very appealing to another team. Uh, so you can get something for him. So And, and by the way, I mean, you know, I want to sell his house, right? I mean, yeah, would to no be amazing. So um, beyond him, uh, let's see, I... I, I think they're higher on Ryan Kelly than people think, but but Ryan Kelly at at, at his salary level and production, uh, I think he's I think his future is in question. Let's put it that way. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to say anything stronger than that because I can't. But but I think there's some questions there. Um, let's see. Beyond that, um, this is tough. Let's see. I gotta say, Shaq too complicated with the injury. Well, I I really the contract think that he. I really think that his future is a huge question mark. But but I don't think you can trade him right now. Right. So you can't get any value there just because who's going to trade for him until you know a little more. Um, so I do think that one's too complicated. But that is but believe me, that is one of the biggest storylines going forward. We haven't even talked about Shaq, right? But like he's one of the biggest storylines what is he, where is he, and and what's the outlook? We don't know the answer to any of those things. We need answers. We will, I believe, and I hope, hear from him next week, uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, um, I guess I'm struggling the last two. but I mean, you're not um, going to go by the quarterback room and drop him? Well, well yeah, but, but I mean, I, yeah, it's true. Matt Ryan, yeah, but I mean, he's under contract, but, like, come on. <laughs> right? Nick so, yeah, Foles? I guess I am. I guess I am. And I won both of their houses, by the way. Yeah, you're right. Bulls is under contract. I forgot about that. I totally forgot. Because, you know, I think in my mind, like a lot of people, you're thinking, okay, well, those guys aren't going to be here. They're already gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which is, yeah. But as a realtor, yeah, I want to sell those houses. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, Steven, Mark asked this question in the YouTube chat, and I think it's worth pointing out. He goes, if Chris Bauer talks to the media next week, does that mean he's returning? Um, I, I would say. No, for these reasons, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Ryan Grigson hold his season-ending press conference and then get fired like three weeks later?
5: Right. So, j and and I were talking about this the other night. That was one of those situations where he got fired several weeks after the season. Yeah, it was like, like mid to late January. Yeah, like, he probably thought he was fine, okay? Because I remember having to hustle and buy a ticket to Mobile to go to the Senior Bowl because they had a general manager search all of a sudden. So, yeah, it was it was certainly several weeks after the season, I think about three weeks. Uh, so, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean anything that Chris Ballard uh, speaks to the media. I, I think you have to take Jim Marcy at his word. I mean, he seems very convinced and and very headstrong, to use that word again that Chris Ballard is his guy. I actually believe him. For better or worse, whether you agree or disagree, I actually believe him. I'm taking him at his word that, that Chris Ballard is his guy. Can he change his mind, though, If depending on who they hire as head coach and and what the expectations of that person might be? I don't know where the whole Jim Harbaugh thing stands and how real that is, but certainly you know, I've heard his name rumored from people in the organization, just like a lot of people have. And would jim harbaugh have a different um expectation for the power struggle power structure perhaps perhaps and that could affect things but i do think as we sit here today yeah i i think he truly he being jim mercy truly intends for chris Ballard to be his general manager
0: okay and on that note last one for me then and again Stephen holder espn.com with us um so you believe that Again, predicting Jim Merce just sounds like a crazy idea, but here we are doing it. Uh, that Chris Ballard will be back and what would you throw a percentage on Jeff Saturday? Coin flip? Or is that too high?
5: Um I I I, I wanna think it's lower than that, but but it's it's not zero and it's probably not even like ten or twenty percent. I mean I think there's like a thirty percent chance. And, and the only reason it's not more, okay the only reason in my mind, and this is a very, very like, like you said, dangerous thing to do, right trying to predict yeah where' your Mercy's at? I apologize so for doing it. This could be completely wrong, but I, I think it would be higher if if they hadn't lost in such historic fashion. I just don't know how he sells uh, Jeff Saturday as the permanent hire. Maybe he doesn't care, maybe he really doesn't care. I, I don't know, I don't know. But that is, to me, going to be his chief problem. How do you convince people? I mean, who are you going? Who are you getting to go buy a ticket after what they have seen the last seven weeks? I, I just don't know. And the other part of that equation is the optics around the league and the minority hiring issue. It, that is going to be unbelievably bad for them. I'm telling you now. So we'll see how that goes,
3: Stephen yesterday I had pointed this out and I think and understandably so uh, I respect people's kind of like shrug of the shoulders to me on this because maybe I wasn't clear on it and I, you know we don't know this answer but I wanted to run it past you because you do cover the league beyond just the Colts um, if and I think it's safe to say at this point that Cincinnati and Buffalo are not going to make up that game, right? Like Cincinnati and Buffalo, it would appear that way. Yeah, yeah. They're going to play a 16 game schedule and everyone else will have played 17. I, I, I totally respect that. However, if, and I think this is still a possibility, if that means that in the AFC, the playoff seating defers to winning percentage and Cincinnati and Buffalo have identical records and they face off against one another in the playoffs, would either team not have a legitimate argument in saying, "Wait a minute, we we were denied the opportunity here to get home field over the other one because of a terrible circumstance, albeit"? But how do we determine where that game is going to be played? Because there was a the ultimate tiebreaker was right there, and and then that unfortunately, you know, understandably went away. How would they determine that?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think they'd have to go to the tie-breaking procedures. They'll do that before the playoffs even start, right? I mean, that's how the seeding will—the seeding has to be determined before the playoffs start. So they'll go to the tie-breaking procedures, and they'll they'll be sorted out before the playoffs start. Now, to your question, would one or the other team have a legitimate gripe? Well, sure, they would. Uh, I don't think they would go to the mat on it, right? I just don't feel that way. I hope they would not. I just don't know how you resolve it. it you know, had this happened, we we had games canceled uh, the last couple of years with COVID. We've had some issues there, and they happened early enough in the season that they were able to to sort of make them up. Uh, but you know, week eighteen or week seventeen, uh, I, I just don't know what the options are. You know, it's I, honestly to have to make the game up is probably. Uh, a a worse outcome for those teams, you know, to have to play that extra game at at the last second like that. It might be a worse outcome to have to do that than have to deal with whatever, you know, the the seedings, whatever dilemma the seedings create, you know, or disadvantage there. So I I just don't know. I think that the problem is going to be the solution is just not a, is not something they may even prefer. So maybe they just let it, you know, let sleeping dogs lie on that one, I guess.
0: Stephen Holder, ESPN.com I would say with the season ending Enjoy the off-season vacation But Lord knows that's not coming So um, there's going to be a lot of news In the month of January And potentially into February as well Stephen, thanks man, I'll see you later
2: Whether it's audiobooks Or all-time greatest hits Long live listening to your favorites Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams At KISQALI.com And talk to your doctor To see if Kaskali is right for you whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Okay, see you guys. Chris Widlick, our friend over at CBS4, points out that they had there is precedent of the NFL moving everything by week. They did it in the season after 9-11 where I think it was week two was it that they just slid towards the end correct yep Mm -hmm. and I get that the the only difference being as I pointed out to Chris you know that that was with a three month advance notice right as opposed to a week ahead of time
0: well this is the awkward nature
3: too Jacob you
0: have one game not the whole week schedule you you have one game that's really up in the air right Right. now with Bill's Bengals and then I think in the next 24, 48 hours, certainly in the next 48, maybe the next 24, a decision on week 18 needs to come just from a logistical standpoint. I mean, the Chiefs are going to get on a plane, I guess, Friday to travel to Las Vegas. Tennessee is going to get on a plane to travel to Jacksonville because those two games are
3: Saturday. You have two Saturday games this week. Um, so. You know, I don't know, and before we get into the Donovan Mitchell Cavs conversation, I, I don't know that there has, and I'm sure there have been, okay, but... So speaking rhetorically here, but I don't know that there has been a franchise that has had more, quite frankly, to just overcome or navigate around in a season than this year's Buffalo Bills. I mean, this obviously, you know, is... Franchise and city. Correct. I mean, just travel issues, storms, you know, didn't they have one game where they had to... Didn't they have a home game they had to play elsewhere? They played yeah, the they Detroit play the, one game. In Detroit, or so. uh-huh. I, I mean, they've the city itself has had a casualty of 30-some people with the winter storm that just hit there. And well, you yeah, had the I shooting
0: mean, earlier, yeah. um, the mass shooting at the grocery store earlier in 2022 as well. I mean, man. I was thinking and about that's, Naeem that's Hines. Town. I was thinking about Naeem Hines the other day. Yeah. You know, that's kind of your probably your most relevant Colts connection there to it all again the latest on demar hamlin we haven't really heard any sort of concrete update since yesterday afternoon his uncle did mention on nfl network we'll play that audio here in a little bit um that from a ventilator standpoint the reliance on oxygen has gone from 100 percent down to 50 percent. Um, but again some critical critical moments and days right here for demar hamlin from a neurological Standpoint, Jake. We really didn't have a ton of opportunity yesterday to talk about Donovan Mitchell. Seventy-one points. He was twenty-two of thirty-four from the field on Monday. Seven of fifteen from the foul line. Twenty of twenty. Excuse me. Seven of fifteen from three. Twenty of twenty-five from the foul line. I would say the thing that stands out to me the most about that. He had seventy-one points. He also had eleven assists.
3: I thought the best. Tweet afterwards was Robin Lopez, who is the twin brother, of course, of Milwaukee's Brooke Lopez and probably the lesser player of the two, but uh, he did send a tweet. I'm just going to get this out of the way right now and point out that Donovan Mitchell and Robin Lopez combined for 72 points tonight. (laughs) Hashtag historic game. That's great. Um, Donovan Mitchell then let it be known after his 71-point performance on Monday night against the Chicago Bulls. That the next day, the very next day, the NBA did what they should do, probably sarcasm. They sent a reward to the Cleveland Cavaliers players with the highest point total since Kobe Bryant's 81 point performance back in 2006. The NBA said, congratulations to Cleveland, congratulations to Donovan Mitchell, and here's a FedEx package for all of you requesting that the team be subject to one of their four random tests for performance-enhancing drugs over the course of the season. <laughs> and so Donovan Mitchell had now to Take your urine to Springfield, Donovan. You're going to put it up in the Basketball Hall of Fame. That's exactly right. So Donovan Mitchell... Sent out a tweet, by the way, that just said, and, just like that, we're drug tested this morning. With so when you emoji.
0: combine points and then assists that went to points, Jake, 99 for Donovan Mitchell on Monday. Unless that is, some of
3: those assists were to threes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had 99 total. Okay, Se- 71
0: so own points, then 99 with the 11 assists. So a lot of threes, if you look at that. Uh, second most in NBA history behind Wilt. Wilt had two assists. That'd be six threes, by the way. When he scored, look just a math aficionado yeah, we have in at studio you with us. I mean, you, you so know,
3: impressive. You guys realize you're, you're
0: dealing with Galileo over here, right? Uh, Kobe Bryant had two assists when he scored 81.
1: There have been uh, 14 50-plus point performances so far this season. There were 19 total last year. And we're just into January. You know,
3: the other thing, too, like, it seems to me virtually every day now I'm looking at the scores and teams are getting 150 points. Yeah. I
0: mean, remember when we rattled off Luca's five game mm-hmm. stretch? Oh, unbelievable! Mm-hmm. And he's like, got three of them this year. I mean, think back to what Tyrese Halliburton did a few weeks ago. Ten threes—the most in Pacers <laughs> franchise history—and uh, you know that's like thirteenth on the um, radar NBA wise. Um, so yeah, eight most points scored in NBA history from Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, you know, the thing I've always been impressed about Donovan Mitchell, Jake, is like it's not like he's the six seven just towering wing. By height standards, I know he's got a long wingspan, but by height standards, he is kind of a small two-guard. And yet, he's been such a proficient scorer here
3: uh, in the NBA. Mitchell, to me, is not your proverbial... Mark Monteith made this comparison, and I think it's a darn good one. Benedict Matherin, because Benedict Matherin has like a lower body strength about him.
0: Yeah, Mitchell's like a can, strong safety.
3: Yeah, and, and so Benedict Matherin reminds me of like a Jimmy Butler because he's kind of a post-you-down creative on the low block when not— I mean, obviously he's a good outside shooter, but he can score in various ways in the mid-range. And Donovan Mitchell, I don't know that there's another player like him, right? He, he just kind of—because he doesn't blow you away— but when he gets going offensively, he's a lightning in a bottle guy. He's—they aren't the exact same body type, but a little bit of Dwayne Wade in him. That's fair, because for that same reason, right? Dwayne Wade's another one that you knew Mitchell probably better shooter. If the spark went off, you knew that with Dwayne Wade, you know here it got here it comes.
0: Did I ever tell you that my brother was at a wedding that the Lopez brothers were in? Really. I mean, you want to talk about two guys walking down the aisle that are going to turn some heads. Now, so who got... In- so my brother went on a mission trip with um, a group of people from Zionsville. Okay. And one of the women within the mission trip, she married a guy from Fresno who was very good friends growing up
3: with the Lopez's. Really? How now, about that? They, is that their hometown, obviously? Yeah, Stanford. They're Stanford, Stanford God, right? right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know that Sterling K. Brown and Robin's got the hair, right? The wild hair. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is the guy that played um, yeah on This Is Us. Mm-hmm. He played Randall, right? Right at the peak of that show, which, by the way, is a fabulous show. Right at the peak of that show, he was the best man in a wedding in Indianapolis. Really? Hmm. Just I, I, he's from St. Louis originally. Do we know the story and, with that? Yeah, he's he's a St. Louis native, and I believe a high school, like a childhood friend of his. He's just a guy, right, Um, now lives in Indianapolis, like his childhood good buddy lives in Indianapolis and got married. And so Sterling, you know, people from Carmel or whatever, like, you know, Nancy's marrying that fella from St. Louis. She's been dating for a couple years, and they go to the wedding, and Sterling K. Brown's giving the toast. It's like, whoa,
0: Randall's giving a toast. Boy, you want to talk about getting all ears to listen to that. I always feel like every (laughs) time he talks on that show, I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat. Right,
3: totally. Which of those characters on that show is the most typecast? Which actor or actress?
0: Mm, that's a great question.
3: I feel like Justin Hartley, the guy that played Kevin, I, I, I'm always shocked or that Kate. this is what Mandy
0: Moore's career has turned into. I think of Mandy Moore as a singer. I yeah.
3: I remember speaking of, of to tie it back to sports at the RCA Tennis Championships. Several years ago Andy Roddick was playing in it. God, several years ago. It feels like a I over, mean it, it was decade was 20 now. Twenty years ago, yeah, something like that. And Andy Roddick at the time was dating Mandy Moore. And he was Dave first and I were He's had a nice run first. off the off the court. Yeah, he has. Well he's a nice looking guy, right? Woo! So <laughs> thank you. And I have always said, by the way, there are few sports that are more captivating to watch sitting down low than high level tennis it's it is something man. Mm-hmm. but at any rate dave first and i went down like on we were working at channel six and you know it was the seven o'clock center court match we're like oh, let's go watch roddick and we went down and watched it and roddick was playing a french player i don't remember the guy's name but he was not highly ranked and um this guy was completely in the zone he was treeing as we used to say about tennis when i was a kid and he had Roddick down. Like I think he won the first set and had him down halfway through the second. And the crowd was probably fifty percent. And Roddick scored a big point and was getting ready to, to serve to you know, or you know whatever. And some guy in the stands yells out, "Come on, A Rod," which I'd never heard Andy Roddick referred to as A Rod at that point. This other guy ain't sleeping with me anymore. <laughs> and and Andy Roddick stops in the middle of the serve and looks up in the crowd and goes, "Come on, man." It's exactly what he said. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just went That's on awesome. and served and absolutely blew the French guy off the court. That is awesome. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I love fans. You know, Mandy Moore was actually in This Is Us. I, she was, I thought she was outstanding in that show. Yeah, I mean.
0: I, I mean, everybody in it was, but she was. Not to act like I didn't know actors. what I'm talking about in Hollywood, but it seems like some terrific acting. Yeah, it was great. Well written. Uh, my All wife has got to be thrilled that we just talked about This Is Us for several minutes. It,
3: did you watch it to the end? Uh, I've stopped watching because I thought the show was just too depressing for Man, me. Man, I'll tell you what. It, it it ends, I think, triumphantly, but it is fabulous. Yeah. Uh, all right, when we come back, uh, a little Jim Harbaugh news. We'll give you
0: that update. Where do the Colts kind of fit into all that? We'll take some calls as well. and preview tonight, Pacers
3: and Sixers, big one for Miles Turner tonight. We'll talk about that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour.